So we're talking about chapter 11, by the way, baptism as a means of grace. That's one of the, you know, one of the chapters. And the other thing is that we're all a little bit, you know, we're wondering where your hair went. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The, uh, the, uh, I, I look, it is my, it is, I was going bald, you know, it was starting to happen. And I know, you know, looking at Mike, how it's going to go down, you know? So I just thought I could either just wait for it to become embarrassing and then do it, or yeah. I could stay ahead of the curve. So I probably, I probably had another few, um, six months to a year left before it started to get proper embarrassing. But I was starting, you know, Mike made one reference to Donald Trump and that was it for me. Yeah, mm. exactly. Mm. But, mm. A little bit wavy. Got to yeah. say. A little yeah. bit wavy. No, I like it. I think it's good. I think yeah, it, it's great. becoming, you, you know, it's always the, I mean, I don't know, Nick and I know about the benefits, you know, you, you, stay, <laughs> you, you shave, uh, you shave some time off that swim, swim speed, you know, you hit those lengths, at least uh, well, you, don't, you don't have to worry about hat hair anymore. No, yeah. no that's true. And in the winter, that's a, that's a <clears throat> that's huge, huge benefit. That's huge. I remember when I was, uh, yeah, with uh, helmets and motorcycles and stuff. That was good. Yeah. You didn't have to worry about the, the post <laughs> yeah, the, the helmet. Uh, yeah. vibe. Just uh, just be careful with the woolen beanie trying to take it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, head. I, I was about to say that this is, this is the, um, the downside for me is that it's a lot of upkeep, actually. A lot of upkeep. Depends like, how uh, short you go, bro. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I was, I'm bicking it currently i mean i haven't I've, it's got a few days stubble on you but I was, what do you mean upkeep there's no upkeep bro you gotta shave oh. this bad boy oh dude it doesn't it's just like shave two itself. seconds in the like, honestly you get so good at it it's not i don't use a razor like, at all i just jump into the shower with the electric shaver with the electric thing yeah, yeah. maybe i'll go yeah. down that avenue no man just you just get out and but then you got the proper velcro thing yeah yeah no no you don't want to do that you want to get no, out I there like, i like the feeling of the smooth, smooth like one of those cats without hair you know exactly no? Yeah. Uh, but the important thing is that shaving your head is not a means of grace. Well, yeah, unless that, you're defining grace by Grudem standards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in which case it probably is. Or even McLaren, you know. <laughs> right. Which brings us back to the subject at hand. Chapter 11. Good segue. Baptism yeah. as a means of grace. We're talking about Fesco's book. Again, if you're just joining us. Right. Now, uh, we've established why Andre has no hair. Let's establish why... Um, this whole thing uh, is important to get down by the way. very beginning and talk about grace. So like, yeah, because exactly. the whole conversation, we got to define grace. Whole, yeah. 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 So let's do that. All right. Let's do that. Um, I mean, cause, cause the differing views, just so that we see why it's relevant <clears throat> is that if you say, um, you know, if you define grace in, in terms of like a quite a, if it has quite a broad description, it's obviously to have the means of grace, you know, it's mm. going to take an equally broad uh, you know, uh, it's a lot of little components, and he mentions Wayne, Wayne Grudem's um, list as an example. I remember reading through that the first time and going, "Wow, okay." I mean, it's hard to fault based, and he does it well. He shows, you know, if that's how you define grace, I mean, that is correct. You're yeah. going to have to bring in all of those things, but um, maybe we can work a little bit harder at defining what grace is. It's not, you know, it's not this broad. I mean, McLaren he he quotes here as being the broadest possible. You know, grace is pretty much anything, and he got the Roman Catholic uh, idea, of course. But um, the Reformed understanding here is more technical. And um, it, we have to do with something, you know, it's, the, it's not just to do with common grace, certainly it's to do with special grace, um, you know, at very minimum. Uh, what else do we want to say about it? Yeah, I think basically um, 
what was helpful for me just thinking through this issue as is I was trying to come to grips with it, coming from a biblicistic Baptist background, hmm. I always thought like Grudem because it's like, well, if we, okay, we've got this phrase called means of grace. Yeah. What does the Bible say about grace? Well, grace can mean hmm. just getting blessed. Hmm. What hmm. are all the means of blessing? So da, 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 da. Uh, therefore all the spiritual gifts are means of grace. Yeah. But uh, I think what's helpful to know just as you approach this topic is that there is a historical background. The terms means of grace come from the Roman Catholic Church. They're oh. taken over by the Reformation and they have a very renovated content. Mm. Um, as it comes through the, the Reformation, <clears throat> we confess our belief in the means of grace along with the universal church, but as a Protestant. Mm. So we're historically connected. So mm, just yeah. like we would confess uh, it being eternally begotten, there's, yeah. there's a history to the phrase. You can't just come at it pure biblically. Yeah. No. Um, you will bump into some definition problems. Um, <clears throat> I mean, they're like all oh, graces, you know, basically it's, it's this thing. It's this um, habit of the soul, this infused kind of reality. That, yeah. That, that sort of uh, creates in you a disposition and so forth where we're thinking immediately in terms of the direct work of the spirit. We're thinking in terms of soteriology and uh, you know, you know, the person of Christ really. Uh, and and his uh, disposition towards us and the unmerited or demerited favor um, that yeah. God has for us, which is again putting it in a post-fall scenario. But it didn't seem to me like so. So in in other discussions on grace, the key thing is whether it's kind of unmerited or or demerited, or whether it's you know there's grace before the fall. That you know the, the, so in, in other discussions on grace, you get all that kind of stuff. But in, mm -hmm. in this in this particular area it was more to do with look is it is it a substance a or thing, is it a person or or, mm. or is it the person of christ but that, yeah. that's if i'm honest isn't i don't typically think of grace as a person you know it's it's quite a counterintuitive way of thinking about it i, I don't you know i don't think you would naturally conclude that uh without some serious thinking i think that like you were pointing out nick the whole idea of understanding that the the origins of the of the term mean, means of grace have always had a kind of salvific element to them, which means that you know when you're when you're talking about means of grace, you're talking about something that is connected to salvation, and that's that's why, in the reformed view, it leads more to the person of Christ than it yep. does to a stuff that's given to you. But is it? Here's my question for you. So is <clears throat> But that's yeah, just before you get onto that question, yeah, because, okay, yeah. because, you know, the nature grace thing as, you know, in Roman Catholic theology, that the whole thing there yeah. is it, it stemmed before the fall. And, it, you know, it was all this double layer thing right from the beginning, which is half of the, half of the reason for, you know, being so emphatic about grace being something that happens after the fall, you know, in a Protestant conception of it, you know, it's, it's different from, you know, we don't, there, there is certainly an unmerited favor that God gave to creation prior to the fall. But when we're talking about grace, we're talking about something that's different from, um, you know, we are talking about God's, God's own mercy really. And, and yeah. God's own favor to those who deserve help, you know? And, um, yeah. and so it's, it's, you know, at that level, it's, it's indistinguishable. It's, you know, it, whose, whose favor is it? Or who's giving the favor, you know, it, it, it must be a person uh, rather than yeah. this whole. Well, I think how, how structure. he gets the, the stepping stone is this. It's like, so grace is definitely God's uh, unmerited, demerited favor. Mm. But what's the nature of the grace? And so you look through the eschatological lens. Mm. And so new creation blessings breaking in through God's work 
in Christ by the Spirit. So what's coming through? It's that future-oriented work breaking in and uh, Christ being the, the, by his resurrection, firstborn from the dead, bringing about the new creation through our union with him. It all has there was, a, there was a eschatology prior to the fall. Yeah, that's, that's something else. It's so, <laughs> another he, discussion. Well, but, uh, just in terms, of, so just in terms of how he brings again. eschatology in, it's the inbreaking of God's eschatological benefits through Christ by the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think so, that's so, fine. So the future is mediated through Christ by his Spirit to us. And so if, if, if we're defining grace in those terms, yeah. what brings Christ and his benefits, the future eschatological blessings to us? Those are the means right. of grace. Yes. Okay. Covenants. That's helpful. I think it's yeah. just where you guys, and that's great. Like you just basically where it's, it's really a, an amazing way to think about covenant because, because, you know, as he, as he says, you've got this kind of Roman Catholic overcoming estrangement, uh, idea in that you get what you need to somehow ascend to God and basically overcome this this in, inseparable gulf, but with with the covenant uh, as we understand it, we, that is the very realm in which God condescends. It is grace. It is the means of grace in in, in the the most proper sense you could ever imagine it um, to be. So I, th- I think that's very helpful as well, and that's that ties in as with with this idea, you know, of the pre fall post fall thing because again it just sorts all of that out. You know the the pre-fall thing, the covenant was the covenant of works. Um, so, you know, there was no grace in that covenant. And it's just very, you can, you can talk about that covenant, you know, not as a means of grace very easily, you know, um, whereas, whereas you've got. So would the, Roman Catholics typically think about grace before the fall as being, you know, Adam given the grace to ascend to heaven. Kind yeah, because that's the whole concupiscence thing and the whole, yeah. um, you know, basically, right. so how it works. So there was a super added yeah. gift. Super bonum, super additum, or what is it <laughs> yeah. called? Yeah. So, so, because so they have he's a crea- created, but he's got yeah. this wild aspect to his nature that needs the spirit to control it. Yeah. When he right. fell, the spirit was removed and the wildness within him took over. And essentially, that's why natural theology is, you know. So God is the author of sin, uh, according to that construction. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I think the thing that I struggle, because I just read Horton on this uh, Mm -hmm. for something else. And Horton will phrase it, grace isn't a substance, but an attitude. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. at least I'm pretty sure there was Horton. Anyway, something I read recently that said that. Mm-hmm. And I just found I, I, there's something about saying, you know, basically grace is a person. It just didn't quite sit helpfully for me because I know what he's getting at. And I know yeah. that he's saying that, um, you know, that basically all of this grace that we're talking about comes to us through Christ and is part of this this union with Christ and this yeah. eschatological breaking in and the, the, the whole covenant deal. But um, at the same time, it's just very obvious that that isn't what grace is. Grace isn't a person. So it's come to us through a person, yes. but it, 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 I just think it's a, sl- it's a slightly misleading idea that I, it took me a while to wrap my head around. I'm not sure about it. I think talking about grace as a, as, as an attitude like Horton does um, and then saying, you know, relating that to the blessings that come to us in Christ by the spirit. And you can still talk about the direct work of God on the, you know, uh, through Christ by the spirit on the human soul and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I just, I wondered what you guys thought about that. Cause I found that a difficult, a difficult thing to take hold of conceptually. 
Yeah, I found like he, I didn't feel like he meant that so much in a technical sense, but more just, you know, as soon as we start thinking of what grace is apart from the person, you know, as we yeah. start to, you know, think about it as some sort of like random magical substance that we can do things with apart from the covenant and the person and the disposition of Christ and the, um, you know, the, the benefits and the union that we have to him and so forth and the spirit's work in making all of that possible. As soon as we stop doing that, we, we lose our way, you know, which is really yeah. what ha- what's happened. So I don't know that he would be, I mean, you know, I felt, felt to me as I read that, that, you know, if you had to sort of put a gun to his head and go, right, you know, stick to your, or put your head on this chopping block, you know, is that the definition of grace? Is it a person? I don't think you'd want to do that. It's more just wanting to make that point. It must, to the degree that the covenant yeah. is involved, you know, again, what is the covenant, but your relationship with the person and, you know, your, your yeah. involvement with God at that level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. That's, that's kind of uh, where I was getting it going anyway. No, cool. Yeah. All right. Now, um, he says grace is, um, or we kind of looked at, we said a few things about Karl Barth and Swingley, but, you know, we've kind of uh, beat that that drum already. Um, You know, moving into um, something that I thought was was really quite interesting and maybe even um, flows on for what we were just saying here. Um, In the terminology of the auto salutis, in fact, this, this is, is perfect from what we were just saying. Uh, the, in the terminology of the auto salutis, God's grace is the believer's union with Christ. That helps, Andre. What do you think? Amen. I mean, that's it as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a yeah. Technical that definition. I actually yeah. thought that, re- that was really good. Uh, in in yeah. the terminology, as long as we're defining it that way, in the terminology of the auto salutis, God's yeah. grace is the believer's union with Christ. And that actually flows right after I just sort of glanced back. And so that's where he does say uh, God's grace is the person of Christ himself. So that's obviously, you know, yes. it broadens it out a little bit to make it, it's the, it's the activity that makes us united yeah. to him. If, if I say grace to you, I mean, regeneration to you, adoption to you, justification mm. to you, sanctification to you. How do you get all of those benefits? Yeah. Through your union with Christ by the spirit. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so like in, in Romans, when Paul talks about, you know, uh, uh, now that we have been justified by faith. We you have know, peace we, with God. Yeah. We have peace with God. And uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing. By this we, grace we, in which we stand. Is that yeah, the phrase yeah, you're yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the one. So that's where he's contrasting grace with law. Yeah. So, the, yeah. so if, if, you st- if you're in law, you're in, a, if you're in, in law, think of a country called law. You're in Adam. Mm-hmm. The devil is over you as uh, part of your condemnation and judgment. Uh, and God's dealings towards you are as a judge. But when you're in grace, it's another country where you're in Christ and all of God's dealings towards you are as father. So it's, yes, that's, that's so, how I'm understanding the orientation there. No, I think that's right. And, I, and so I'm, I guess what I'm, what I'm reaching for here is that the idea of, of saying, you know, grace to you or that we're we're not under the law but under grace these are these are all covenantal terms and Mm -hmm. so you know you can't understand what that means apart from a change of covenant so you've moved from one which is a change of federal heads in christ or you're in adam yeah and romans 6 which happens through union with christ yeah yeah there's the person aspect yeah good yeah Yeah. now all Um, of that helps us to to just come back to grudem's you know broad means of grace thing you know, as we define this grace this way, you know, let's say we settle on something close yeah. to what we've been talking about. Um, obviously, that gives much more definition to what we're talking about 
when we're thinking about word and sacraments and, you know, it, it, even a little debate on whether prayer, you know, could be defined as, as the means of grace at that point. Um, I don't know if you were with me, like at one point, I think we were talking um, in a theology class and, um, and it was about the confession and obviously the 1689 includes the, the prayer elements. But uh, I think Jim Rennie had made a big deal of this being a kind of corporate prayer, not a private prayer thing. And it must have been something connected to what we were talking about. Yeah, I think I wanted to wanted to alleviate the the, the breadth of including private prayer, whereas you know a corporate prayer is kind of surrounding word and sacrament and sort of you know it's it's further revealing what is being revealed by God. So it can be properly uh, termed a means of grace. I don't. Do you remember anything about that? I don't recall it. I don't recall it. But I know he he sticks to. He basically goes along with Fesco and his definition. Yeah. 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 Which is what led to the frustration, I think, you know, because, because <laughs> Fesco doesn't like that. He doesn't like uh, the, the prayer element being in there. Yeah. yeah. Where Hodge and even the Westminster confession itself did include prayer. It did. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, exactly. maybe we should, we've defined grace. Let's define means. Okay. Yep. So if we define grace as the person of Christ and his benefits mediated by the spirit, this will limit what the means of that grace are. Yeah. And so this brings the doctrine of revelation into view. Yeah. And exactly. since Christ is the penultimate revelation or word of God, mm-hmm. Prince, uh, who is revealed through the word of God, the word must be central in defining the means of grace. So yep. this is the, the steps the in Fesco step, yeah. and the reform thinking towards. So, so when you so, think means of grace, don't think Grudem. No. Think historical yeah, and, and by the way, what are the kinds of things that Grudem said? Uh, let's quickly just find it here. Um, uh, so he said, like, the teaching, baptism, fine, Lord's Supper, prayer for one another, worship, church discipline, yeah. giving, spiritual gifts, fellowship, evangelism, personal ministry to individuals, and on it goes, right? Anything uh, beneficial. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds yeah. me of, uh, you know, Piper did a sermon, I think, uh, talking about Spurgeon, who, who was saying, well, actually, you know, uh, oh, that's it. You know, Spurgeon was saying, well, you know, it's not quite a means of grace, but walking along the, the ocean, you know, sniffing the, <laughs> the fresh air that that's, you know, uh, um, you know, it's yeah. just about and, as close as you can get to a means of grace. So Piper comes down and he's like, I disagree. <laughs> it is a means of grace, you know, and, I, get it. Oh, right. yeah. and, and, and that's yeah. basically the idea. I mean, of course it is. Yeah. If you're, if you're, the, you know, thinking about depending on your beneficial. definition. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you're thinking of just being, you know, feeling blessed or whatever, then, you know, that's right. But, you know, I think that is and, and McLaren goes even yeah. broader, doesn't he? So he, he points out at that point that McLaren goes even, yeah, even yeah. broader. General so, revelation so literally is a means of grace. everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now it is important to say that because I know a lot of people do get, you know, even, even the very idea that we would even be asking, you know, limiting the means of grace yeah. in any way. It seems, seems preposterous. And the fact that there's a debate about whether prayer is like a means of grace, people interpret that as a good, th- are, we, are we arguing whether prayer is a good thing or bad thing? Or are we arguing whether yeah, these yeah. things are good things or bad things? But that's just so everyone's clear on this, not the argument or not, not the same the view at yeah. all. Um, of course, those are all good things. Amen. Do them, you know, go crazy on them. We're asking, mm. you know, technical questions, really. Uh, we're asking how we, God has promised to give us salvation, you know, uh, really uh, is an important way to think about it. Uh, so it's being thought of salvifically, you know, obviously, as Nick just said there, there's revelation involved, you know, you have to limit it at that level. I think you could also, he doesn't go here, but you could probably, I think probably this is what was missing from the chapter in my view. There is, where, where is Christ promised to be present? You know, um, is the, yeah. the presence of Christ and the real presence and all of that needs to be thought of as a part of this. 
And so, um, you know, th- these are the questions we're, we're wrestling with as we think about what the means of grace are. Um, so let's just, let's just put that on the table in case anyone's yeah, listening and sure. freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's I very think, helpful. I, when you, when you know, it's a small discussion yeah. and you know, you're just working out the definitions within this smaller scope. Well, uh, why is it even important? Why isn't it even important to have that discussion? Um, because we want to know where Christ has promised, you know, I mean, this ties into the ministry of the church. It's a very focused thing. Uh, what is the church to be about? What, you know, what exactly uh, has Christ promised us yeah. regarding uh, how we can be saved and, um, you know, how he will be with us. And, and those are, you know, you don't want to take on a walk along the beach thinking that, that <laughs> that's going to, you know, get you into yeah. heaven, you know, or Christians yeah. gathering at the coffee shop or on the golf course. Or something exactly. is equivalent, so, you know, so bringing yeah. it back to the whole notion of revelation. So word and sacrament are the two means of grace. And the reason why Fesco basically says word and sacrament as a, and without prayer is because these are the, the words of God to us. We have, <laughs> This is where the primacy of preaching, wherever the word is read or heard, whether it's whatever means, and then the sacraments, which are the visible. And uh, so you have the visible and the audio, audible word. These are the, the things that objectively declare the gospel to us. Mm. And so it's, it's, not, it's not the means of grace are those things that stand outside of us and objectively, objectively declare Christ to us. It doesn't mm. depend on our subjective response to be the means of grace. These are the things that stand objectively without response yet. Yep. And that's where word and revelation stand outside of us to declare Christ to us. These are the things that are under this technical definition of the means of grace. Those things used in when God effectually calls you to himself. These are the things that are defined as the means of grace. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what about prayer? We're saying no to prayer. Well, this is where where Fesco has difficulties because he wants to wants to emphasize the objective element as opposed to where prayer is often subjective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, I mean, you might say, I think this was something along the lines that uh, I was talking about earlier, but something, you know, there is a commission to pray the word in some sense, you know, with, and it falls within that context of, of ministry of the word. And in that yeah. sense, it's kind of, but it is a slippery slope because, you know, next thing you know, you're including hymns as the means of grace and, yeah. and um, you don't want to. So it's, it's, it's just an attempt and it's obviously within the context of a Roman Catholic discussion of what's yeah. preaching the gospel to us. Um, it's, yeah. it's the word bringing Christ to us, the word and spirit working together and not ex opere operato not through the priesthood, not mm. through the church. It's the spirit working through the word. These are the means that by which God saves us. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a, it's a narrow definition. Mm. Good. Uh, you, you can't put, you yeah. can't put prayer in a definition like that. You can't. Exactly. No, so depending yeah. on your definition, that's, what's going to mm. determine what you allow within this. In one mm. sense, this can become a shibboleth. Um, that we can decide that this is, you know, a test. If you don't subscribe to this exact definition, well, then you're not reformed. Um, I, mm. I, I don't think that's helpful. I think that the use of, of, of getting into the technicality of this discussion is it points us back to the primacy of preaching. It points us back to the importance of having uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism in the service as visible words. And mm. these are emphases that we want to see coming back into the church. Mm. Yeah, good. I cut have you, you ever, off there. Have you ever yeah. encountered um, uh, the kind of way of thinking about preaching, that preaching is itself sacramental? Now, not to say that preaching is a sacrament, but that it is sacramental. And so it's, it's a, I guess it's equivalent to saying that the Lord's Supper and Baptism are word ministries. 
but they're visible word ministries. Well, it de- depends how you define sacrament. Is it a holy sign and seal of the covenant of grace? Yeah. Well, I think I think the, the, I think the guys yeah. who are saying it are saying that it's not a, it's not a sacrament, but it is sacramental in the sense that it's a means of grace. Yeah, so, it has well, a sacramental a, value to it. Yeah, it, I would well, go. it's the word. It's the yeah. audible word. It brings Christ to yeah. you. Then yeah, yes, absolutely, totally. Because there was a guy I forget his name now, but there was a guy who wrote a book about this. Um, we basically trawled through the church fathers to pick up on how they use you know sacramental yeah and it's more like in a preaching. liturgical sense or or it has kind of that um just giving some physical quality to you know some sort of basically just it's something concrete you know pointing yeah. to to yeah. something that, that's not quite um so the word is pointing us to the realities not yet seen bringing us to believe in those those things and so is it has a sacramental quality to it i don't, I don't have any problem with that i think that's fine as long as we're you know we're talking technical yeah. definition on the one hand and then you know yeah. just the the, the adverb at least the adjective at another another level the the idea that um i mean i well let me let me can we unpack a little bit the idea that actually the the, the sacraments need the word and the you know, and, and mm. vice versa. Mm. Um, because in, in one sense, ob- that's obviously true, you know, um, but in, in another sense, I, I just, I sometimes wonder if actually we aren't in our effort to kind of, to kind of protect the uh, essential nature of preaching. We're almost downplaying a little bit the fact that the, the sacraments themselves are visible words that do have an impact in and of themselves. You know, they don't, they don't like if you if you see someone being baptized or if you're experiencing baptism something is happening there or if you're participating in the lord's supper something is happening there you don't wait till the sermon in order for that thing to start to matter you know to start to matter and so i don't know what you guys thought about that and about the exact relationship between preaching but i just thought it'd be worth i thought um so fesco basically held up Calvin's view and Calvin said, you should never have bare sacraments. There mm. should always be the preached word. If you've only got <clears throat> baptism or the Lord's supper without the gospel and, and preaching going on, you've got something that shouldn't be happening. So they mm. should always go together. And I thought that was 100% welcome because yeah. it's God's own word interpreting God's own appointed ordinances. And he's, um, and he's responding to a Roman Catholic deal where you would just mm. go to take the mass and then go. Home. Yes. And it would be in Latin and yeah. <laughs> there'd be no yeah. understanding in the, in the, in the people. Yeah. yeah. Just at a very practical level. I mean, it, it's going to keep you from ritualism and, you know, just again, what we were talking about earlier, making all sorts of fables up about, about what you're seeing and what you're, you know, what's actually happening there and what sort of power it possesses. You can imagine how, you know, that would have taken a life of its own pretty quickly in the church as well with yeah. all the, all of the, you know, <laughs> the superstition and Greco-Roman stuff going on. And yeah, I mean, so just to have that protective mechanism in place exactly. is important. I mean, the words hocus pocus uh, yeah. to R.C. Sproul come from <laughs> yeah. the way layman heard the Latin phrases. This is my body. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I heard that too. Oh man. Yeah. Um, the, all right. So, so, the, yeah. so just coming back to that, the preaching and thing though. So, mm. so, you know, what Kelvin's getting at is you don't have a church service where there is only a, a you know, only a, a sacrament happening without a sermon, basically, no. right? No. But, but, I, I, but how far can we go to say that actually the, the sacrament itself um, 
you know, it does, it is a visible proclamation of the word. So, the, you know, cause I, I kind of feel like, yes. Okay. So at a practical level, if you're, if you're gathering together on the Lord's day, you don't ever not have a sermon, you know, you have a sermon and you have the sacraments. Yes. Yeah. Clear on that. And the two, the two need each other. But, um, but it is also true that when you are participating in the Lord's supper, you are having the word preached to you visibly and tangibly through, yeah. you know, the means of the bread and the wine. And so that in and of itself is a proclamation. You know, it is, you are experiencing the fullness of that. You don't, it, it, it's not like it doesn't work or, or isn't a means of grace until the sermon comes along. Well, hopefully you're doing the sermon first and then the Lord's Supper and that will sort it all out. We mix it up. <laughs> you know, we, like, we just like to keep it fresh. Yeah, I, I like sort of the Calvin's approach and it's, you know, imagine God writes you um, <clears throat> a letter where he asks you to marry him. And then he takes his seal, his signet ring, and he puts a big wax seal to say, I mean this, it's, it's true. Puts his signature to it. Yeah, an appendix yeah. to the word. Yeah. So you've got the gospel being preached, and then he mm. puts his seal through the sacraments on it. It's a seal of the covenant of grace. Yeah. Um, it's, it's God putting his own signature to the word that, that has been declared to you. So I, 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 I think that's, that's a good way to see the relationship between the two. Mm. I think it's particularly... Yeah, just sorry. sorry. Yeah, just for for Baptists, you know, especially again, just to mm. you know, we, you know, you know how we are most clear about things as Baptists, <laughs> uh, and, and most correct about things. Yeah, this and we is all one agree of those, all the time with every other Baptist. Yeah, yeah. this is one of those yeah. times where basically, you know, it, it's it's very very clear for us what a what a sign does and what a sacrament is, and it basically, you know, it, it is going to be that word cemented to our conscience it's going to be the the thing as nick just said sealed upon us but we have content in mind there you know as we experience with our senses so you know just just that dynamic of first believing and then being sealed in that experience you know with with something that's pointing us to what we have believed um I think will inform the way we go about this process you know whereas if you do go ahead and remove the the sign and the thing signified and they're not temporally bound and, you know, anything goes, I mean, I, you, I think there's a lot more room to kind of play around and, and end up in trouble. Right. So, so I, cause I think I've, I mean, I obviously don't disagree with what you're saying. I think mm-hmm. that's right. But at the same time, I, I just feel like, you know, it should be, well, it could be pushed a bit further to say that actually when, although you're never doing one without the other, Mm-hmm. And although they are obviously working together as, like you said, this, the, the covenant sign. So there's the kind of covenant proclamation, the covenant, the covenant message and the covenant sign. Yes. The, the, yeah. It is a, it is a visible, it is a preached word. So, you know, the, you take the words, the, the apostle Paul saying, um, you know, when, is it a preached you, word? You proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's, when you eat and drink together, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, where, where he let me put it to you another way. Is it an yeah. understood word? For me, that's that's going to be the issue, because you can have you can have the best sermon in the world, but if that if someone it's in, in the different language, if it's yeah. in another language, it's not yeah. an understood word. Yeah. So it's not yeah. it's it's not the presence of preaching itself. It's the mm. it's yes. the it's it's the mind and the spirit and the faith, you know, the spirit working with the mind and, and causing faith in the heart and the will responding. It's that interaction where we we're being renewed and transformed. Uh, yes. through our understanding of things and our faith being being roused by that word to meet Christ um, by the spirit. 
So if it's an understood word, and so yes, if it stands, if, if you're in the context of a good church where uh, communion is well understood because it's often preached on, and then maybe just before the sermon, you have communion and everyone knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's an understood word. Yep. But if I go off to a place where I've never been, where I have no yes. familiarity with the ministry and how it's practiced, and I just decide to break bread with the people without giving them the gospel and some clear guidelines about what's going on, I'm probably doing bad pastoral practice. I mean, besides the fact they're not members of my church and I'm not their elder and that other stuff aside. Well, it's just that it's not possible from the, the action itself. Let's say you take someone out to get baptized you know, even if you go to the river Jordan, you know, it, it, it's that, it's that close to its, you know, original context or whatever, but, but, you know, the act itself, there's no way it's going to be able to communicate what it needs to communicate. It's just that you're putting someone in water and that's the end of it. Um, so, you know, that can't be enough. You know, it just, it, it's not, it's not a preached word in that sense. Um, but yeah, it is, it is an appendix to the preached word and a visible word. Uh, an understood word. I like that. That's the same sort of idea. Mm, yeah. uh, but the word made visible. Um, it's it's an it's a um, it's the drama, as Horton likes to say. Um, so the other thing I go I go a bit further. I think it's, I think it is a preached word. It's just a visibly preached word. I think the word proclamation is used in, in the scriptures. So I think I'm comfortable using that language. You mean the where it's talking about the Lord's Supper in Corinthians? Yeah, where you proclaim. So I mean, yeah. for that, I mean, I've often thought about that. I think I think the idea there is just in light of where he's going with all of that is basically saying, you know, to the degree that you would do this now, you know, you proclaim the Lord's death in the sense that you are. Um, you know, you're, you're until he comes is the idea, you know, very important there because, you know, you're waiting and as you eat and drink now, you'll eat and drink with him. But it's not, I don't think he's saying that you will, you know, in the actual breaking of the bread, it's, it's, there's, there's some, some proclamation activity happening, you know, other than well, it's, that it's it reinforcing what the kind of liturgical statement. So when Paul says, you know, the things I receive from the Lord, I also pass unto you, mm, you know, mm. it's right on the back of that, yeah. which does sound a lot like a liturgical and early liturgy, you know, um, of something that Paul is then passing on, but definitely, yeah. Yep. So I, so yeah. I mean, I. Yeah. I but the, even the words of institution in themselves are preaching the gospel. Yeah, exactly. Imagine you just did the actions without the words of institution. Hmm. It's, it would be a barren act. Yeah. So the words of institution are certainly a proclamation in, in that, yeah. in 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 the sense that it's taking the essence of what the Bible's all about. And yeah. um, boiling but it again, down to it just, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim yeah. the Lord's death. That it's the he's specifically highlighting the eating and the drinking there. I yeah. think. Yeah. And 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 when the Lord blesses it, it's beneficial. Yeah. But He so, blesses every blessing of God comes to us through our understanding. Um, yes. Every blessing yeah. of God comes to us by the Spirit through the Word in our understanding, mixed with faith, and it's towards Christ and His work for us. And um, yeah. apart from all of those things working together, there's, there's no blessing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It, but although the, those things can surpass our understanding, can't they? You know, so we only, we only experience the blessing to the extent that we understand it. But the yes. things that we are experiencing. Uh, there are invisible mysteries support. going on. Amen. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but n- not while we're sleeping, while we're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's true. Um, and I think it is important also to just emphasize while we're thinking about the, the objectivity side, um, you know, that it's not just that we're saying, you know, it's almost like you want to get past that more than a memory thing um, mm, where yeah. we're just saying, as we think, as we 
Remember, you know, it's just that we could do that just as well by creating a little, uh, one of those, by creating a PowerPoint show, you know, and, you know, let's, let's all sit back, relax and watch the PowerPoint and it'll cause us to think about the death of Christ and his blood and his body. And this, it's, it's not just that we're understanding in another little nutshell way and and a little essence, but God has actually ordained that through these, these means he's going to do, you know, he's going to do something objective to us. Um, and, uh, and I suppose we're, we're trying to get to what that is exactly. And again, what, what is that grace, you know, that, that actually is given to us that we wouldn't have if we didn't take that sacrament, um, which, you know, again, is, I think it's important for, for us to be able to articulate that and be able to tell people that because otherwise it is a very close connection to Rome. <laughs> you know, if you're not careful, you have to be able to articulate it well. It's one, one of the reasons um, I appreciated this chapter and his wrestling with it. Because I think reform guys sometimes do just use the language. You know, they use yeah, the lingo, they know. go way too far there. And, and, and I, don't know, they, I don't think they would be able to explain what's happening there. And it's one thing to dunk it in mystery. You know, but you've got to be able to at least just be able to stick to your basic principles and theology. Yeah, I mean, yeah, um, which I think is a great segue. I don't know if we're able to do it now, but the means of grace and the covenant. He says the doctrine of the covenant seldom finds its way into the discussion of the means of grace mm. in the broader church, and that, amen, yeah. all the way. But Horton writes even if we just get this started now and then we can come back to it next time, but Horton writes for, for Thomas Aquinas, grace is an infused substance, a potency for overcoming estrangement. While for the reformers, grace is the favorable event of meeting a stranger. I love that. That's great. Because I mean, if you think about that thing that we've just been talking about, what happens when you partake of the, you know, you down a presence at that point, that favorable, favorable event of meeting a stranger, um, and then he says, although, although Lutheran and Reformed traditions affirm with Rome and Orthodoxy that the sacraments are, are the means of grace, the deepest difference lies in quite different understandings of grace. So really just to mm-hmm. kind of re-say what we were saying there. And I think that's really the nub of it, a lot of it anyway. That's good. Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, anyone, any more comments on, because on, we're right at the cusp of it, because this is where it gets interesting for me. Just, just so we're bookmarking some stuff for next time, okay? Because I want to, this is what I want to talk about. Because um, he, he, he says... True, this outlays this beautiful covenant thing, and then he says, "True, the sacraments are a means of grace." Uh, well, actually, let me just read this part: the the covenant accounts for the necessity of the term means of grace. We'll we'll do that next time, as a covenant embraces uh, these things. But true, the sacraments are a means of grace. However, because they are linked to the covenant and more broadly to divine revelation, they are not always means of grace, but sometimes means of judgment. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'd nearly dropped my iPad when I was reading that. I was like, you know, uh, I knew it was coming, but I was just like, not then, not then. You know, I mean, he's mm. just, he's, he's in many ways solved the problem, you know? <laughs> and then he just undoes everything with that statement. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's the, um, the, the old dog in me that can't learn new tricks and I'm just too, I'm too Baptist to even see straight. Well, just, or, just, just highlight first, Mike, what, what, what you're seeing is the big, Jarring. Well, I mean, because basically, you know, the, here's the thing. We're, we're asking we're, as believers now, right? Here we are. We've had the word preached. We've believed the word. We've understood it as a grace to us. I mean, every one of us can very clearly talk about what that means. It means God is 
revealed the gospel to us. We've believed the gospel. He has saved us through the preaching of the gospel, effectual Amen. calling, regeneration, justification, sanctification. I mean, this is happening, right? Every one of us is very clear on, no on what's curse. going on there. Yeah, exactly. No more curse, for sure. No more covenant of I mean, works. This, covenant this, works is, is completed. Right. And now, now it's true that the preaching of the gospel will lead to the judgment of some, but that is for heaven's sake, you know, we're not going to call that a means of, of, of but that's of because they're still the judgment comes because they're still in the covenant of works and they're not in Christ. Exactly. They're running it's from because the, of their, the covenant they're in and they're still in Adam. Exactly. So, you know, when it comes to the appendix of the, the, the sacrament as a visible word and as, you know, meeting Christ through that covenant sign, making, making a tangible reality possible for what is uh, too mystical. And as we just said earlier, almost um, beyond our understanding uh, and yet a place to find refuge for our souls as we know the spirit is, is mediating, mediating Christ's presence to us. Uh, we know the spirit is operating on our souls, changing us mm-hmm. through his presence and through the word. Mm-hmm. We know uh, that we are in, in the very uh, moment reminded of the actual, gospel that, that uh, continues to proclaim uh, the, this um, message of salvation to us we continue to be built up in our faith so you know amen like i mean i get that it's true that someone can eat in an unworthy manner and i and i it like you know they can hear the gospel in an unworthy manner and 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 you know and be bring ju- discipline so, but not judgment no i mean well and even if it is judgment it still doesn't solve the problem for me you know even if you because that is certainly not the intent and it's certainly not a worthwhile reason to broaden yeah. uh, the purpose of the sacrament to include both judgment and blessing. So, you know, I've been, I've been kind he, of... I, mis- I think I misunderstood what he was saying. <laughs> I, I didn't pick up that he was saying it was a, a sign of, of judgment um, for those participating in it. I thought he was saying it was a sign of judgment for those not participating in it. Those who do not believe who have participated. Well, so, so true. He says, yeah. it's like a Hebrew 6 kind of thing. Like those yeah, who it's who their, yeah, yeah, it's their approach to apostasy. Well, let me read the section, and uh, maybe it, even if it's just a, a little, um, what do you call it, taste for next week. But true, the sacraments are a means of grace. However, because they are linked to the covenant, and more broadly, to divine revelation, they are not always means of grace, but sometimes means of judgment. Right? That the microcosm of the crucifixion shows that God's self-revelation in Christ is both a means of judgment and redemption. So, I mean, he's like, he's walking parallels there, right? Two thieves were crucified with him. One believed and was saved, but the other thief did not believe and was condemned. The same Jesus uh, brought both redemption and judgment. He is both the cornerstone and the stone of offense and stumbling. God's revelation has always been double-edged. There are no uh, neutral encounters with God. So I think I see a very clear conflation of two different categories, you know? Propitiation and non-propitiation. Right. (laughs) To put it bluntly, yeah. (laughs) 